Welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont from DuPont Wealth Solutions. As a practicing advisor and attorney, Greg teaches pre-retirees how to reduce debt and taxes and save with less risk so they have more spendable income and plan their way to a better life. Join us for this journey where Greg draws on years of experience and guest experts to help listeners achieve more spendable income for retirement. Hello and welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont of DuPont Wealth Solutions. Greg, good morning. How are you? I am doing great, Eric. I'm looking forward to our conversation today with my good friend, Matt Zagula. Yeah, you brought Matt on the show today. How did you guys meet out of curiosity? So Matt is a bit of a, uh, started as a mentor of mine and a friend. He was introduced to me by a common friend of ours, a fellow by the name of Dan Kennedy, who is a well-known marketing guru in the world. All right. And why'd you bring Matt on the show? Matt is a man on a mission. He has got some information to share with the general public that uh, I'm proud to say that I am one of his conduits that he uses to get that message out. But I do like to get the message directly from the man to the people. And that's why I'm bringing Matt on today to have a little bit of a conversation over a cocktail or two. Nice. Matt, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, it's great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you guys. Man, I got a new thing. I'm a man on a mission. I'm going to put that up like in my office, man on a mission. I like that. <laughs> Big neon sign. <laughs> Big neon sign. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Greg. So tell us a little bit about your history with Matt. So I've seen Matt's work for years. I have got introduced to him first in a book of his that I read, and then I had the opportunity to have that direct introduction to Matt. Oh, it was about, about five years ago now, I believe, Matt. And he and I have kind of worked in close quarters ever since then. I think you're right, but I think it might even be longer. You know, it's crazy how time works. I think we might have known each other even longer than five years. I think it might be seven or eight years ago, you know, that we first started hanging out and discussing taxes and planning and how we can help our clients mutually. And yeah, I think it's been a little longer, man. Time's flying. Time sure flies. We're having fun, huh, Matt? Mm -hmm. So when we have a conversation like this, we like to virtually, uh, I know it is early in the morning we're recording this, but we do virtually uh, open a drink. Uh, I'm going to have my own Sapphire Martini. Uh, now I know you're going to have tequila, but what would be your tequila of choice for this morning's conversation? Oh, let's Matt? see. If I was going to drink in the morning which I can't say I've never done, but I, you know, not very infrequently, but I probably have a Classe Azul Reposado on ice, a little tequila on ice for the morning. Yeah, it sounds like a nice little sipper. <laughs> and what are you drinking today, Eric? Oh, it's Guinness. Guinness. It's Guinness. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's warm and fuzzy right now. So, you know, for that morning time. <laughs> it's like a nice pair of slippers. It Just saying. It's, it's, and it's almost coffee. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it looks like coffee, right? So, so like Guinness, so, Guinness kind of sits heavy, but it's like not that high in calories. Like, I mean, it's like, uh, to me, it was like drinking a loaf of bread, but it's not like real high. I think that's a good drink for the morning, Eric. I like your well, choice, man. Well, I might switch over is, to a you, Guinness. Yeah. We, we've never met before, Matt, but I sit heavy. So, you know, <laughs> might, as, might as well have a drink that sits heavy too. There you go. <laughs> So Matt, I was thinking about our presentation today, our chat, you know, I was kind of looking through both of our backgrounds a little bit. And it's curious and interesting to me that you started your journey in the insurance world at virtually the same time I started my journey in the legal world. 
Mm-hmm. And as you know, and as the audience knows, you know, about 15 years into my traditional estate planning and business practice, I had my eyes opened to some of the tools of the financial industry. And could you kind of relate to the audience, kind of your path that you've taken over these years to get to where you are now, as I like to say, a man on a mission? <laughs> yeah, you know, I tell you, a lot of it was somewhat by accident, but started with really the way my parents interacted. My father was a lawyer like you, but very different. He was a trial lawyer. So, you know, there was always a case and there was a lot of times something bad happened, you know. So I grew up hearing about some gruesome stuff. And my mother was a stockbroker. And ultimately, I was a young guy that I didn't know what I was going to do, you know. So I ended up not really applying myself very quickly to which college I was going to go to. So my father had to pull in a favor and I ended up in a small liberal arts school studying economics and ended up really taking to the professor there and just the way that he would teach things and you know how economics affects us in every absolute aspect of our lives you know our personal finance from so many different dimensions you know and I I was kind of amazed by that and I really instead of I went from being really uninterested and not really applying myself to really getting involved in the thought of lost opportunities and compounding of wealth and the simple stuff, you know, but it really uh, resonated with me. And from there, I finished college in three years and ended up going, getting my first job at a kind of a weird time in our economy. I'm trying to think of the year, but it's, God, it's so long ago. I can't even, <laughs> I'm so well, damn According old. to your LinkedIn profile, Matt. Yeah. According to your LinkedIn profile, that was somewhere around 94. Yeah, my God. Any can you imagine something before the year two thousand? How old am I? This is terrible. Anyways, but I I went to Guardian and I really got the job because at the time, you know, it was basically just an advance on what you might or might not make and no one told me the failure rate was like ninety five percent, thankfully. And I just kind of figured out that there was a, a problem that people weren't addressing in the marketplace and that was taxes like so even my mother who was a traditional stockbroker she really didn't know anything about taxes you know and my dad just complained about how much taxes he paid so by virtue of conversation at the kitchen table as a young guy and uh, falling into a, the only person that would hire me a guardian god bless him i started to really get a focus on there was a problem and i should learn solutions It's interesting, Matt, is um, the time we spend together, the solutions that you come up with that are applying to modern problems, many of them have such a strong root in old practices that people have kind of just forgotten over the last several decades. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, I think we study the past in light of where we are presently to make some reasonable prediction of the future. And some of it is this, you know, straightforward math. You know, if you say to someone, do you think taxes are going to go up? The vast majority of people say yes. But to me, I think that's the wrong answer. It's going to go up for a few and it's going to go up for those few by a lot. And the folks that are not in that group They have their own unique challenges to deal with, like inflation and other things that are certain to come. So, yeah, I think that you study what's happened in the past in light of where we are right now to have some reasonable approach to the future. 
And a lot of that approach to the future, in my mind, is kind of summed up in your Smart Advisor Network and the work that you've done with that and building that up. So what was your vision behind creating that and ultimately now, uh, what, your third release of the book coming out? Yeah, we're on the third for the 2021 tax laws and kind of beyond. And every year we make a modification or two to the book. It's been challenging this year, though. Getting printing done has been crazy because of COVID and just our release was real late and it's a different world right now. But my vision of the Smart Advisor Network is simply really rooted back into principles of kind of the self-help industry and the Napoleon Hills of the world saying, you know, the masterminding, bring the smart people together. And in today's modern world, these younger folks are so impressive. Everyone's like, oh, young people, this, that, and other thing. I am so impressed with their passion for decentralization. And I think decentralization and masterminding, when you consider those things collectively, if you get a lot of smart people together and open the format and open the forum for them to share their wisdom, you can really go a lot farther together than you can alone. And in our industry, a lot of people try to be a lone wolf or try to be, you know, something bigger or better than they are. But, you know, when you get smart people together and just open up the thought process, a lot of great things can happen. And that's what my my intent was with the Smart Advisor Network. I mean, look at you. You're unique. I mean, the reason that I love having you in the group and having you in the network and available as a resource to the other members is because you're a financially minded lawyer. Now, you know, you can effectuate a result for your client, and the buck stops with you. What I hate about the approach that so many take, which is, I just manage the money. You look at an AUM advisor, an assets under management advisor, there's a disclaimer in there. They can't give you any tax advice, right? They can give you none. It's prohibited, right? So you you have this huge limitation that literally costs most of us 30 to 50 cents on every dollar that we ever earn. So it's guys like you, you know, it's guys like uh, Rick Law and Zach Hesselbaum, lawyers that are financially minded. We got CPAs that are in the group. It's a great group of collective wisdom to mastermind and come up with better solutions as a team. You know, there are far too many people that are in the uh, extended allied professions like lawyers and CPA, in my opinion that keep an open mind as to these things. You know, I know in the first 10, 12 years of my practice, the whole idea of insurance and some of the other tax-minded solutions that we've learned and, and implemented now through the Mastermind group, it just were not uh, part of what I was taught in law school. And you know, I know hundreds of estate planning lawyers that don't really have any, or they call themselves estate planning lawyers, I should say, that don't really have any understanding of some of these broader tools that are out there. You know, We're all products of our silos. If you're an AUM guy, then the AUM is the only way to go. If you're an insurance guy, insurance is typically the only way to go. And you know, if you're a lawyer, typically it is the, um, you know, what are the structures, the legal structures? And it's thanks to guys like you that uh, helped me understand the broader tool base that are out there to effectuate that change. Well, I appreciate that, man. You know, I think I just had a unique path in the industry to where I realized that it, all roads didn't lead to fee-based asset management, and or, nor did all roads lead to an insurance product, nor did a trust standalone by itself solve every issue. 
it was that collaborative approach, that blending of those ingredients that could lead to incredible results. And you know, even in the last few years, we've added to the Smart Advisor Network on my direct team to service the group, a forensic accountant, you know, because I'm concerned that a lot of weight that the advisors place on rating agencies and regulatory bodies, uh, they are unaware of the limitations of the view that these folks have. It's not that these people are doing a bad job. That is absolutely not what's happening. But the rules of engagement here are such that they can't see all of the financial engineering that's going on that's creating counterparty risks that affect so many Americans in America today, you know, with pensions and with lifetime guaranteed income. And if it concerns me. So we've recreated a way to look at this in a transparent view. And it takes a heck of a lot of work. It takes money and time. But uh, I think that the people we serve are, are very well worth that money. I mean, it can't just be uh, one size fits all. It's not a single solution. It's a multitude of sophistication of weaving these things together to get people where they truly need to be. And also why we added a pension actuary. You know, there are so many times I walk into a business owner situation and look and say, wow, you could be saving significant dollars on your taxes. And that's why in this last third edition, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to completely clean. I'm going to put my tax returns in there and show them what they would have been had I done nothing and what they were because of the things that we do. Now, I still paid a lot in taxes, but I saved $91,000 in taxes in 2019 by not talking about the things that we talk about in the network, but doing every single one of them for myself. You're a big proponent of uh, do it first before you tell others to do it, aren't you? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I would never I have never provided a product or a service or plan or a process or anything to another human being on earth without it happening for me first. And if I was unable for some reason for qualifications or age or amount of money required, I'd find a family member and make them the guinea pig. I'm never going to test an idea out on somebody who's placing their trust in me. That's never going to happen with me. You know, I've got to know that thing, you know, start to finish. I need to understand not only why it fits mathematically, I've got to look under the hood. I've got to go through the paperwork process. I've got to see, you know, the service on the other end. Is this going to really be as good as it's promoted? Because the last thing I want is uh, something that's hyped up but delivers poorly. And I, I'm concerned about that all the time. This goes back, Greg, to a conversation we've had a number of years ago with a major insurance company that came out with something that illustrated like it was going to be a rocket of wealth creation. The only problem was the proprietary volatility controlled index thingy that they were using could never handle the volume. And I could see that right from the gate. So they were creating an illustration of this compounding effect based on something that can never happen. You know, that's why you got to pay to have the smart people around you. You know, I'll pay a pension actuary all day long just so I don't have egg on my face and hurt somebody's ability to create wealth. And I know you're the same way. And that's why you stay with the group. You contribute to the group, but the group gives back to you. And that's the key so that you can protect the people that place their trust in you. And that's why I want to be on your show. That's why I love hanging out with you. You're an advocate for client first. 
and a dear friend and somebody that if I had an aunt or uncle that was within a 150 mile radius of you, they would be working with you because uh, I trust you. Thanks for the kind words, Matt. You know, we made reference there to um, your uh, actuary and the transparency. And as we've chatted about uh, many times in many of these tools that we use, uh, we are putting our reputation online with long-term promises that the insurance companies are making. Can you tell a little bit about what that transparency is that you're looking at and how we use that or you use that to do our level best to make sure that the insurance companies that we use do have the wherewithal to make those promises and keep those promises? Absolutely. You know, I, I'll tell you, the it was, again, I've been very fortunate by making a lot of mistakes and, and accidents along the way. So what happened was I've become very focused on when insurance-based product, whether that be annuities for income, which by the way, you know, from a volatility control perspective and diversification, as we go into this period of rising interest rates, certain types of annuities are so much more important in the mix than bonds because of the interest rate sensitivity of the bond portfolio. And I think that there's going to be a lot of people to learn that the hard way because the assets under management type of advisor is going to not share that data. Now, the insurance guy is going to overdo it and scare the folks away from doing the appropriate amounts. So I think annuities are a perfect example, but you got to buy into the right companies. So how do you do that? You know, Well, there's organizations all around the country, most of whom have never worked with a client directly and are completely inept and incapable of understanding what the use of these products really are, which that's a complete tangent. I will not go on on your show because it doesn't do anybody any good, except for I'll feel a little bit better. So you get people that are, you know, basically have no idea what they're doing, telling advisors what product they should sell. It's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of spreadsheeting that goes on. And it's about price, price, price. You know, what's the benefit for the dollar? Well, that is a very good question to ask. And it's a logical question to ask. But an even more important question to ask is, what if the number one person or the number one company, rather, on this spreadsheet is a weak company with poor financials? And those poor financials could lead to them making promises with the pricing that they can never achieve. So even though the pricing looks so attractive, the income uh, over a period of time or the death benefit in the life insurance policy, these companies don't have the financial wherewithal really to make that promise. And you'd say, well, wait a second, you know, there's rating agencies, there's a regulatory body, but there's a transparency problem. And I think that's where you're going with this, but I'll pause and check in with you to make sure that's where you want me to go, my friend. Absolutely. Yeah. And also we have a little bit of a disagreement on some of the tools and the ways that we use them because we're human, right? But there's a, a weighing, right, of the risk of the companies versus the risk of not even using these type of products. And so, 
we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But you developed a way to put a number on things so we can compare that relative risk that the companies have versus each other. And so that the consumer can decide, okay, I want to take this pricing benefit knowing that there is this potential risk of the company above and beyond whatever the ratings agency says. So how did you come up with that number for these companies? Well, it has to do with, uh, let me say it another way. We'll make this show a little controversial, right? There's this theory that bigger is better, right? When we talk about this, I'm talking about the size of the insurance companies, right? So back in the day, it was too big to fail. And that really started a trend, a mental groove in the mind of advisors serving the public that bigger is better. And it's wrong. It's wrong and right. Where it's right is a bigger surplus, a bigger financial cushion relative to the higher risk assets you have and the number of, let's just call them self-conflicted transactions that you do. So when we look at a company in what we call the TSR ratio, which stands for transparency, solvency, and riskier asset ratio, what we're actually looking at is if a company has, let's say, like, let's just use a huge number, $100 billion of high-risk assets, and they've got a $10 billion surplus, Okay, that would mean that a 10% write-down on these riskier assets, and these are the riskier assets defined by the Federal Reserve, not riskier assets that I think, Greg, or you or our forensic accountant, Tom Gober, it's not that. It's are those assets defined by the Federal Reserve as being riskier. And riskier really means less liquid. So a collateralized loan obligation, a CLO, or residential mortgage-backed security, they're not real liquid, right? So if there is a real true run on the insurance company for whatever reason, you know, I was worried about the pandemic with death benefits whenever it first came out. I thought, hmm, if they get a lot of death benefits and they have to start liquidating these higher risk assets out of their surplus, what if they can't draw those down at less than a 10% discount? What happens? What's called insolvency, right? Companies go broke and the regulators have to come take it in, take it over because it's not something that they can weather. So the surplus matters, not the size of the company. If you say, hey, you know, is Metropolitan Life better than a fraternal company in Beaver, Pennsylvania called GCU? Which one would you trust? I would trust GCU all day long over Metropolitan Life. Now, the rating agencies would say you're a maniac because the Metropolitan Life is an A-plus rated carrier. They've got a Comdex rating of 95, but I'm not looking at it that way. I'm looking at how much risky assets do they have compared to that surplus. And I'll tell you, it's a lot, man. They're leveraged very heavily there. And that kind of stuff scares me. You also point out the risk. You know, part of your model for the smart network is fraternal and mutual companies as opposed to stock companies or God forbid, those owned by private equity. And we've seen some recent acquisitions that way. And you've got a better way of phrasing uh, that danger than I. But why do you categorize those mutual and fraternal type of insurance companies 
as a better choice than the stock-owned companies or the private equity-owned companies. Greg, what's your wife's first name? Uh, Julia. Okay, that's right. I'm, it slipped me. I was going to say Julie, but I knew I was thinking that I was wrong, and thankfully, there's nothing worse than say, you know it would have been wrong. But I just want you to imagine for a second that you decide, and this would be a horrible decision because uh, you know she's a lovely lady. But you're going to marry a second woman on the West Coast, all right? So now you got two wives. You got lovely Julia and bad Barbara, right? So you you're now flying between the East Coast and the West Coast, spending money, getting confused on where you're going and when, because you're trying to support two households, okay? Now, you might say, Matt, what does that have to do with stock companies? Everything. See, your wife is the policyholder. She's the good one. She's the one you want to take care of. But for some reason, we've included Bad Barbara over here, and Bad Barbara is the stockholder. So we're spending all our money on Bad Barbara when the one that really matters is Julia. Does that make sense? does to me. And here's the thing. If you're a mutual company, there is no other party. There's only the lovely Julia. And that way, all of the money, attention, and resources are focused on the policyholder who also has a beneficial ownership in the mutually structured company. Is it as simple as I would be better off to have a mutual company than a stock company? The answer is kind of yes, but not completely. You have companies today who act like they're mutuals, but they have tremendous liabilities in their stock kind of side companies. So they're behaving badly inside of the mutual holding company. And we've seen the fallout of that. You know, we've seen the fallout of demutualization of Ohio National. It's a fantastic company that now is a stock company and they're going to find their way. They'll be good in disability and some other things, but they took a great mutual structured company and they're in the process of making it into a stock company. This is the first time this has happened at this kind of level in 20 years. Then, you know, the other mutual companies come out and say, oh, you know, they were bad, we're good, like a Penn Mutual, who has a huge stock holding company inside of their mutual holding company. So they may call themselves a mutual, but I look at them like they're a stock company. So, you know, it's not so easy. So this whole idea of peeling back the financial statements from their sworn annual statements is a much greater indicator than a regulator saying, yeah, they're good, they're solvent, or a rating agency. And I do want to take a moment and explain why. When they move resources and assets from their state of domicile, so we'll give an example of a company in Iowa, and say they have $100 million of risk. And in Iowa, the regulators say, you have to stockpile $80 million of reserves to make good on that $100 million block. And they say, eh, okay, that sounds okay, but that, geez, you know, doesn't leave a lot of profit for us. So why don't we take this money and shoot it down to Barbados, and we're going to seed a captive reinsurance deal down there. But we're going to do it not with a real reinsurance company or a real captive offshore insurer that's anybody else than ourselves. We're just going to take the money, our money that we're responsible for to the policyholder, and ship it on down to Barbados. And the difference is we own wholly that company the same way we own this company. The difference is we're only going to have to stockpile resources of uh, our reserves, rather, of, say, $40 million. So all of a sudden, poof, like financial engineering magic, $40 million comes 
available on the table for them to do what they want with it. And a lot of times what the private equity firms do is they upload that to the mothership in the form of a dividend. So now we've got $100 million of obligations that some smart regulator says it needs to be $80 million, but they shipped it offshore down to the $40 million down in Barbados. But the regulators, they just look at it as you're responsible. It's on your books at 80. If whatever you do down there is on you, right? The rating agencies can't look beyond those books. They don't know how much money is down in Barbados. This is the transparency problem. We're not saying they're doing something wrong, but it's just creepy, man. Why do it if they're not putting more money in their own pockets? Make sense? Opens it up to suspicion. So, Eric, the fly on the wall there, as you've been uh, probably into your second Guinness, uh, maybe even third after some of the things that uh, <laughs> Matt has shared with us here today. Well, what's the man on the street thinking about what he's hearing there? And what kind of questions have come into your mind as a result of some of the things that Matt shared with us today? Well, here's the thing is that last point that you guys were making transparency, I think for anybody is paramount, right? As the man on the street, I want to know what's going on. But at the same time, it's really too much for me to dive into, right? What am I going to do? Google it and really try to find out what truth is truth and what's not. And honestly, and this is not a, this is almost a shameless plug for both of you, but I would need an expert, right? I have a full-time job. I have a full-time family that I'm taking care of. I've got full-time hobbies that I'm doing. I don't have time to try to weed through all the different things that you guys are talking about. And so my question is, how does somebody find somebody that they can truly trust to help educate them and bring them this information when it's needed, which is now? Matt, I'll let you take that one with regard to uh, finding uh, people that are the ones that you have uh, helped get some understanding of these type of things. That's a great question. I mean, it really is. And it's not an easy answer. I had an experience with a, an advisor in North Carolina and he, boy, he was a good talker. But when you really got to know him, he was just not very smart. I mean, he was not smart at all. I mean, mm -hmm. it was shocking. And this guy is sitting on almost a billion dollars of assets under management mm. and a custodian of Wells Fargo. So how do you know? You know, I mean, look, it's not the shameless plug for Smart Advisor Network, but I think that if you just poke just a little on what was the criteria of selecting this company for us to put the money in, well, they're A-plus rated. That's a red flag. I mean, if that's the level of depth that the advisor can give you, I would say, well, what does that mean? If you two-step question that and just say, where are my risks here? Well, market risk. Okay. How about my taxes? What are we going to do to mitigate my taxes? Look, you know, I've been saying this for a really long time. It's the reason I favor multidisciplinary lawyers is because they don't have to tell you they're a fiduciary as a marketing plug like I see everywhere in the world today. They were a fiduciary the second they got their law degree. Right. And this is a little push towards Greg. And I know that's not what you usually do here, Greg, but I feel compelled to tell the listeners the, the reality of the situation, which is a multidisciplinary lawyer doesn't have to say they're a fiduciary because they're always the guy in the middle. And what happens all too often, and Greg's a nice guy, makes me mad. I tell him you should yell at everybody because here's why. <laughs> They have an advisor. It's some, you know, Wells Fargo dude. He's not even capable to do what a guy like Greg can do because he can't talk about taxes. We're losing 
30 to 50% of our money to taxes. So if you have a boat and 50% of it has a hole in it, you're going to sink, right? So if the guy says, man, you know, it's really a shame, but I can't fix holes in the bottom of the boat that have to do with taxes, what are we doing, right? Look at where we're at today in the world. If you go to usdebtclock.org and just look at that mess on there and see what's happening there, and people look at the debt and go, oh, the debt, the debt, the debt. No, look at the total revenue versus how much the government spends. Guess what, folks? If they took every one of you listening that makes more than $100,000 up to, I don't care for somebody out there making $50 million, and they took 100% of your income as tax, so you had to live on zero, they still wouldn't plug that hole. We have turned into a nation reliant on money printing, which is a nice way of saying borrowing, to make the ends meet, and there has to be a reckoning. So as you watch your Bitcoin go up and as you watch your stock portfolio soar and, man, my guy down at Wells Fargo is the best. Woo, he's great. It has nothing to do with that. There's a flood of money coming in. You need to hedge that money up so you don't lose it all. And you need someone tax savvy on your team. So I think, uh, Eric, my recommendation is everyone should just go to Greg. Well, that's convenient for me. I feel pretty good about that. I'm already I here. Feel good about that recommendation. All right. And if, and if you're in another state, Greg will tell you who to go to. He knows all my best. He knows the people that are amazing out there. But you got to be, it's not linear, it's not one dimensional. When you look at debt, taxes, income planning, retirement planning, estate planning, gift tax planning, you know, I mean, Look, there's so many people right now that are sitting on tremendous amounts of wealth, and they're going to keep mm-hmm. on compounding that wealth right into a massive amount of tax. You know, Do you want to save yourself into a 25 or $50 million estate so that the biggest beneficiary of all of your work is the government? I mean, mm-hmm. I see it every day. I don't mean with – I have a client right now that's pushing – they could very well be a billionaire, you know? And I look at that and go, how are we going to pay these taxes? There's a legal way to discount them, but can you discount away all of them? Absolutely not, right? So you need insurance. Okay, but I don't want to pay those premiums. I don't blame you because you shouldn't. Why shouldn't I? Because it doesn't work either. At that level of wealth, buying insurance in and of itself alone is ineffective. How do we do it then? You got to borrow. I hate debt. Well, yeah, what do you hate more, debt or taxes? If they're going to take half of your money and you can create a loan, to create a hole in your estate that they can't tax. Doesn't that make more sense? Yeah, but how much do I have to put up? Nothing. What do you mean? What do you mean nothing? Well, you got to collateralize some stuff, but you don't have to make the premium payments and you shouldn't because it eats all of your annual exclusions. And here's the thing. For most people listening, they have no idea. And Eric, you have no idea. But you know who does? Greg. And that's the point. You know, right there, if you're a high net worth person sitting with a AUM manager down at the big bank thinking he's got your back, look, when you're dead, you won't know, but your family will, and they'll pay Mm -hmm. because you didn't broaden your thinking to realize that we are in a geometrically diverse marketplace that is not linear and easy. It's not, oh, hey, honey, I did 13% last week. You know, who cares if all that money, like if you compound yourself into a tax death what good have you done, right? So this is a more sophisticated approach. And I'm sorry the world's more complicated. And, you know, they always say simple sells. 
but simple also could just mean you have a stupid plan. And so the idea is to have a smart plan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, sorry I'm getting a little chippy, man. I'm drinking this tequila in my mind, and I'm getting all fired up over here, man. You know? Well, as we bring this in for a landing here, Eric, um, thank you, Matt, for your time today. And I also want to thank Matt for his gracious offer to allow me to make available to the listeners of this program a complimentary PDF copy of his new book, Smart Retirement. And all you need to do to get that is uh, shoot me an email, greg at dupontwealth.com. And just in the memo line, uh, put book and we will get that PDF right out to you because yeah, that does give you a glimpse at some of these tools that Matt has talked about today. Gives you a little bit more of a background into some of these plans that we do use to try to help people strategically move around taxation and retirement so that they are paying the lowest effective tax costs going forward. Eric, do you have anything else for us today? No, this is fantastic. Here's the thing is that piece at the end, Matt, where you really got fired up. See, that's I love that because that shows me the passion that you have. Greg and I talk about that quite a bit as far as the passion that he has for what he does and who he works with. So, Matt, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. And, of course, Greg, I want to thank you for bringing him on the show. Uh, obviously, he's your connection, and there's a good reason you've been connected with him for this many years. And, of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. We want to thank you for tuning in and listening to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Greg comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at DuPont Wealth Solutions, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Advocate. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of DuPont Wealth Solutions. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 